Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. It's season eight and we're really excited to be once again teaming up with F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One this year, we are all over it. And the brilliant news is you can now return trackside thanks to F1 Experiences. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first class hotels, and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. So what are you waiting for? Experience the 2021 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 experiences. Get booking today at f1experiences.com. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now, today's guest hails from Warwickshire. Now, we all know Harry Benjamin, that Warwickshire is full of history and heritage, but did you know that it's also the birthplace of shouty TV chef Gordon Ramsay, husky musician James Morrison, and novelist George Eliot? But of course, it's most famously known for being the birthplace of William Shakespeare. It's famous for many other things. It's where the British motor industry started with Henry Lawson setting up Daimler in 1896, and I could go on, but I won't. Now then, I'm going to test your historical knowledge. When was Shakespeare born? Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> Surely you learned this stuff at school. Uh, and, as, and as a drama school graduate, I really probably yes, should darling. know it. Um, he was born a very long time ago. Don't Google it. If you're Googling um, it, I'm going to... I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm honestly not. Oh, God, I don't even know. I could be so way out. Take, I'm so take, bad at time scales. Take a punt. When he was so... I honestly have a clue. Can I have a clue? Can you give me uh, a number? A digit. A digit. Uh, okay, yeah. I'll give you the last number. It's four. Uh, 1894. That's horrendously wrong. That's, that's so far wrong. I mean, you've just upset anyone that's ever studied English or Shakespeare. He was born in 1564. Oh, see, I had 16 in my head, but I thought, oh, no, is that too far away? Terrible. Oh. You see, this is, I don't like these, this, these new intros because for our last show, you asked me, we had Christian Klein on the last show who was an Austrian. You asked me how many countries Austria boards with. <laughs> yeah. I'm going bloody clue about that. Have some of that. Um, oh, and uh, we're a bit weary today because um, obviously this goes out in a couple of weeks. But yesterday, at the time of recording, we had our first ever Motormouth Celebrity Charity Karting Cup, which was uh, we did amazing, a huge success. We had an incredible turnout. Jimmy Broadbent um, won with his team. Um, so well done to Jimmy and Glenn Dunbar Photography, who were the the winning public team that had Jimmy in with them um, and uh, Super Tires um, from Welling Garden City was second. They had, or they third? They had Jan, I think they were second, Jan Mardenborough in the team and then Team Brit um, up yeah. there on the podium as well. So fantastic day. So thank you to everyone that was involved in that. So many people um, contributed, KEP, um, Print, who helped us with the branding and obviously Wilton Mill, the cart track, and most importantly, the Brain Tumor Charity, who we're raising lots of money for that the, the uh, auction site is doing very well. So we're making some good money for them. 
so what a what a day um really really special um right shall we introduce today's guest from warwickshire i think so yes so today we're joined by british racing star jordan king jordan took the well-trodden route of karting back in 2005 before moving into single seaters in uh, 2010 where he won the british f3 title with carlin he went on to european f3 and gp2 uh, the Manor Marusha F1 team quickly snapped him up as a development driver before stints in F2. And he even did IndyCar over in the good old US of A. Um, he's driven LMP cars. He's done the famous Le Mans 24 hours and even the Indy 500, which I'm really keen to talk about. He's also done a spot of commentary. So we'll let him fill you in on the rest. Jordan King, a big welcome to the Motorbike Thank you for having me. That makes me sound like I've done quite a bit in, uh, in not very long on this planet, but... Yeah, it's been enjoyable. It's a pretty, it's a pretty impressive uh, CV, actually, that I think a lot of racing drivers would want. Uh, first thing I want to clarify, though, are you actually from Warwickshire? Because Tim often gets that wrong. I am. I, uh, uh, yes. I, was, I was born in Warwick and I've lived uh, in, in Warwickshire or Stratford. So, and, did um, you know, and did you know when Shakespeare was born? I did, yes. <laughs> well, he has to, coming from there. I mean, yeah, really. that's true. Well, right. I, I think technically um, he wasn't actually born in Warwickshire, was he? Or, or well, it depends uh, where the ball, well, depends where the boundary lines were <laughs> 500 years ago, I suppose. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. I mean, I'm going to say he was just just to make myself sound. Yeah, let's roll with it. <laughs> intelligent, with it. but yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, but uh, yeah. I've, I've already done myself a huge disservice there already at the start of the podcast, but we'll forget all Shame about that and we'll talk about you now, Jordan, shall we? Let's go back to the start, shall we, Jordan, as we always do um, and uh, pretend like there are never any technical glitches with this show. <laughs> uh, let's uh, go to the start and to those karting days, you know, was it as competitive uh, as it sounds when you first start, as for most karters it always is? And sort of what drove you to actually, you know, want to go... I want to be in go-karts. I want to try and become a racing driver. Uh, well, for me, my route through motorsport, I suppose, is a bit different to what you see today uh, or from what you see in the past. Growing up, I've always wanted to be a, a sportsman of some kind. Uh, yeah, my parents would say if ever they wanted me to get me to do anything, they would just make it competitive and just say, uh, oh, I'll time you. If you know we're in the car about to leave and someone forgot their jacket, no one wants to go out, and, and it's me as a five-year-old. They'd just be like, "Oh, we'll we'll time you," and I'm like, "Yeah, okay." Um, and I'm still like that today. So if ever you want to get me to do anything, um, I'll I'll do it if you make it competitive. <laughs> Start a stopwatch. Uh, go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I yeah, always wanted to be sporty uh, because that's just kind of the way I am, I suppose. And I started in more conventional sports, yeah, rugby, football, cricket. Um, well, the UK listeners will think they're conventional sports, maybe yeah. not the American listeners. Uh, and that's soccer, not, not American football, <laughs> the proper game. Uh, <laughs> offending people now. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's fine, I lived there for a year, so I'm allowed to. Uh, <laughs> No, so, so yeah, so for me, I was, I was really, you know, I was into my sport, loved it. Uh, you know, still to this day, I go out my way to do as much sport as possible, compete in as much sport as I can, watch as much sport as I can. Um, and then I went karting uh, for my 11th birthday down the road um, from where I lived at the time. 
to Mr. Karting, just outside Leamington Spa. Uh, and didn't think much of it. You know, in, enjoyed it. Had great, great fun. Um, got beaten by my sister, which, you know, I feel like I just have to say because she'll bring it up at every dinner table <laughs> if I don't. Uh, I just say it's because she was in the, the adult carts, but, yeah. you know, maybe... And, her, and, yeah. and, maybe and probably lighter, let's be honest. You know. Yeah, maybe she actually had more, more talent than me. Um, so, you know, she messed that one up, didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, th- so then from there, you know, it was that kind of year that everybody had birthday parties that went karting. Yeah. Um, or at least all my friends seemed to that year, you know. So by the end of the year, I'd been there half a dozen times and, you know, dropped in with friends when you have a weekend off, that sort of thing. Uh, and the owner came up to her dad, Alan, his name was, and said, you know, you've now come here quite a few times and you know, your son's on the leaderboard for, for you know, top times around there. You know, he's not an idiot. He's enjoying it. If you want to go to kind of the next level, this is the next step type conversation. So dad had a little dig around and looked into it and through friends of friends and work colleagues found out some people in the karting world, you know, completely blind walking into it, didn't know anything. Uh, and went and went karting. I suppose like what I would call proper karting. Uh, about a year after I first sat in a car, and that was just you know going from a, a indoor tiny ten second track that you only go twenty miles an hour on to you know outdoor at twelve years old. Um, that's 50 miles an hour and it's a minute lap was just like, oh my God. Mm. And dad said when I first took the helmet off, you know, I just had a massive smile on my face. So um, that was kind of, the, I suppose, the start of the journey. Um, but even up until I was about 15 years old, uh, I didn't fully commit to it. I was still playing my other sports. The school I went to, I went on uh, what's called a CB Fry scholarship, named after CB Fry, if anyone's on Google. Um, He's probably the best uh, sportsman the country's ever produced. You know, played for England at rugby, football, cricket. Wow. Um, Went into the trenches in World War I, came out, ran uh, a Raj in India, then got offered the throne of Lithuania and became a member of parliament. You know, like life story is just, you know, fantastic. Uh, But he went to the school that I went to. So I I got his scholarship in his name, in effect, uh, to go and play sport. So I was was there to play sport in my mind. Mm. Um, So I was juggling, going racing and still playing all my other sports. You know, I remember I would miss... uh, parts of weekends racing and turn up with muddy knees from playing rugby earlier on uh, in the weekend or football earlier on. And then actually I ended up breaking my collarbone um, playing football. Mm. Uh, It was the most pathetic thing ever. Uh, Just, yeah, it was rubbish. How? Did you just fall over? Uh, Not quite. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't just walking and fell over. Uh, No, I was... I can describe it to you in perfect detail. So it was a lovely through pass from a midfielder and I was playing up front and it split the defence perfectly through the middle and I was through on goal and it would have been the left defend, left wing defender 
um, was running across, like across the front of the box. And he slide tackled me. And it was perfectly fair. Like it was a good challenge. Like he got the ball and it was all, it was all fine. But obviously I was running flat out. He was running flat out in that direction. Um, and obviously he's taken me kind of with him. But as I've gone over, um, I've like half twisted in the air and it was a bit of a wet day and my shoulder just dug into the ground. So my shoulder stopped and the rest of my body carried on and cartwheeled. Ugh. And I heard it snap. Oh, my... stop it. <laughs> I, hate like, I heard that. it snap. Oh. <laughs> and I just remember lying there and I said I was, must have been 15. And it was, yeah, it was just, it was the most painful thing ever. I don't know whether yeah. it was because there was zero adrenaline at that point. And I remember just thinking like, oh, I'm not going to be able to go racing. Yeah. And uh, lying there and the coach has come over and he's prodded around and... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was painful. Does that hurt? Yeah, but it it was one of those weird ones because like the whole thing was hurting. He was like moving it back. So it doesn't feel broken. And I was like, well, it doesn't hurt any more than it already does. So it's fun. There's a nice big kink in it now. I can actually feel the kink. That's that's Um, a that's a painful break. That one. Um, I I can't cope. So the moment someone says broken bone or I heard it break, it just makes my skin crawl. We've had a few of those on here. We've had Johnny Herbert describing his ankle. Um, yeah, he mess. did. He crashed, didn't he? Oh, that was horrendous. Yeah. And Martin Plowman, who got impaled on a fence and had the the fence post in him when he went to hospital. You know, we've had loads. Yeah, of Yeah, they're, they're not nice ones. No, I think I'll take a I'll take a broken collarbone over those two injuries. To yeah. be honest, but you've not had it easy in your early years. I mean, you you were born with a a problem. I was reading about a lump that was found in your side, um, that that went on to mean that you were in and out of hospital for for many years. Yeah, um, I suppose we can jump to that one a bit later. If you, well, you we can just talk to it now if you like. Um, depends which way around. Uh, I'll, I'll finish the uh, on, I'll finish the, the finish motorsport co- story first, and then we'll pick that one up. So, so anyway, I um, yeah went to hospital, got told, and had you know I was in a brace to try and keep my collarbone going straight, and I was more disappointed I couldn't go racing than play my other sports. And then that, for me, in my mind, told me which one I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, so then I had the difficult conversation as I went to the headmaster. I remember going into his office and he, you know, he's like, oh, you've asked to meet me. It's not often a student asked to come and see the headmaster. <laughs> it's normally the other way around. You know, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, uh, well, you know, I'm here to kind of play sport and on a scholarship. Well, I don't want to play the sport anymore. Um, and he, he was... It was amazing. He went, that's fine. Like, we'll still support you. You can do your racing. And, you know, it was perfect about it. So, um, yeah, that was then, in my mind, the turning point where I was like, no, I'm going to dedicate myself to this and, and try and make it work. Uh, and fast forward, I don't know what, 12 years from now and uh, from then, and we're, we're sitting here today yeah. talking to Henry and Tim on Motormouth. So, you know, we've made it. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't know who, I don't know who Henry is, but... Um... Harry, Harry, sorry. <laughs> I like the sound of Henry. Bring Henry in. I like Henry. Yeah. David, like, you, like I said, you've, you, you've not had it easy in those younger years. You did have a, a cancer scare when you were a little tiny baby. And this has meant that you've been in and out of hospital a lot during your, your uh, formative years. And, and I know that you've done some good work for the likes of the Birmingham, um, the Birmingham Children's Hospital. Are you still involved with these, these fundraising activities? I know you've done one or two quite um, impressive things with it. Yeah, I, as you touched on, when I was one, uh, uh, my mum spotted cancer, uh, well, spotted a lump um, 
on me turned out to be cancer. <coughs> Sorry, turned out to be cancer. Um, touch woods, it's all been fine um, as far as I was aware, obviously, because at one year old, you don't remember yourself. Um, it all went relatively smoothly as it can do for a, a baby, I suppose, at the time. Um, had the operation, had a bit of chemotherapy. Uh, you mentioned it in that hospital. So initially, you know, they're quite a bit. And then it went to kind of once a month, then once every six months and once every year, then once every couple of years. And it probably wasn't until I was about 12 years old, 10, 10 to 12 years old, just before I went to boarding school, um, that they fully did the, yeah, you don't need to come back anymore. Um, but still to this day, like if I go into my GP or anything, you know, get a flu vaccine. They just go, oh, we'll have a quick, you know, poke around and just double check. Um, I don't say it affects my life now because I don't, you know, I don't wake up and think about it. Um, I don't think it's affected me mentally in any way. Uh, but obviously I was growing up aware of something happening because I still had to go and see people uh, I remember driving to Birmingham Children's Hospital once I must have only been eight maybe six seven that sort of age and uh, I can say oh mum well I still have to do this even when I'm an adult and mum went yeah because at the moment at the time I was a big Manchester United fan with David Beckham and mum even said yeah even when you're as good as David Beckham you'll still have to go and get checkups and that was a lie because I haven't been for <laughs> the last couple of years but uh it, yeah, that was kind of, you know, I'd miss an afternoon of school to go and do that sort of stuff. So it was kind of great because I missed school. Um, and and you don't you don't understand, do you, until it's only, yeah. I suppose, actually as a teenager, you start to realise. Um, and when I tell people, you know, that I have had cancer, it, it's more of a shock to them yeah. than it is to me because uh, it is the big, you know, the big C word that no one likes to talk about. Uh, but I've, I suppose, spoken about it a lot my whole life. I've, as you mentioned, done a lot of work with Birmingham Children's Hospital, so been around it. Uh, they do a charity ball, which I've done a speech at before. I've done a couple of fundraising events where they've got big charity bodies. Uh, we went to, it was Matchstoke Castle, um, not far from uh, from Birmingham, to do a, you know, they they got loads of big government bodies in the room and big charitable events that can write big checks to build hospitals and stuff and you know do a, do a speech at that sort of thing so I've, I've been around stories about it my whole life so I suppose I am a bit numb to it when when I then you know I just drop it into a conversation yeah. or if someone says oh you know what's that scar for and I just go oh I had cancer you know for me it's all it's a little bit blase um but yeah, I, I still try to uh, help hospital where I can. Uh, probably raised, I don't know, last time I had a little look, it was about 25,000 in total I'd raised for them. So Fantastic. a decent amount, but a drop in the ocean to what they they actually need to keep the hospital going. I mean, but it's, it's great work nonetheless. And, and to be doing that, you know, to be dealing with all that from such a young age and still, you know, finding out what you want to do and then playing sports and being active as well. And then, as you say, you you get that, uh, you have that turning point where you're like, okay, actually racing is what I want to focus on. And having that focus then in your life, what what were the next steps from there? How did it go from the karting to those first single-seaters? 
so at that point, I would have been in just before I went into KF3. So I was still in what was Minimax at the time, a Rotax championship uh, for those avid karting fans. So, yeah, it was only my third year, second year of karting. Um, going into, I did it in the winter, you know, I did it like November time, maybe not quite that late on, but you know, finished the championship and kind of winter series coming up and I was stepping up to KF3. Uh, and then that year in KF3, when I then dedicated myself to it, uh, we went to Europe. So I did like the European Championships, um, British Championship as well. I even went up, went to Asia uh, and did the Asian Pacific. It was a one-off weekend and, and had like a really successful year. That was like, I suppose, the, the first turning point where I'd gone previous year. I finished second in the British Championship in like a junior <clears throat> championship. Then going to KF3, which was a bit more of a worldwide, uh, not a senior. It's still a junior, but a bit more. You know, we were fifteen at the time, so you know, kind of a bit more adult, bit more professional, um, and did really well. You know, ended up winning the Asian Pacific. Uh, I can't remember where I ended up in um, the British that year. Actually, now. Was like fifth or something, so it wasn't stunning. But then I was like seventh in Europe, and like it, it, it was something like, oh, this is a big step. We're now doing it properly, yeah. investing a lot of time and energy into this. You know, I started training specifically for motorsport rather than just playing all my other sports. Uh, went with the team rather than running it ourselves. You know, before it was just myself and the mechanic doing it out of a you know, out of a little little van turn up and doing it, but then we went, stepped into an actual team environment and did it with the team. And then you have loads of teammates and engine suppliers. And then the factory starts trying to support the program as well. So it, it was that was the first big step into that. So I went from KF3 to KF2 in a short period of time, um, had some really good success and then stepped up into cars. And then when you step into cars, you kind of press the reset button again because especially for me it was all done quite late i you know by the time i got to my first race in a car i'd probably only done the six days testing whereas you see now what some of the yeah. the younger guys are doing even you look at the younger guys in f1 and you see they've done like 200 days testing before they've even got to an official event in a car so it was it was then a real big reset button back in the deep end trying to start again and it was hard it was it was tricky it was one of those it was like oh you know i've bitten off the chunk here and um i suppose a bit of miss or just not knowing a little bit of mismanagement not knowing um thinking oh you do you just kind of step up into cars and it will be a few days you'll be all right but it wasn't like that but by the end of the year we started winning races uh, you know, it was a bit of a culture shock at the first round, being at the back of the grid rather than spending my karting career at the front of the grid. Uh, but then by the end of the year, you know, you work your way up and we were getting pole positions and, and winning races. So it showed then the progress. And then the second year, I stayed in Formula Renault and then finished second in Europe. So you had a good progress. And then from there on, it then started to build momentum. And you mentioned then Formula 3, uh, GP2 slash Formula 2 and then and then onwards from there. So it it becomes a real journey and every time you make a change, it's a, 
you you kind of almost press the reset button each each time. Yeah, and you've you've had terrific success. I mean, you did win the title, uh, the British F3 title with Carlin, who are a powerhouse. And and for those that don't know, they're well worth looking into. I think probably outside of Formula One, they're probably the biggest um, or one of the biggest motorsport teams on the planet. Incredible stuff. And uh, Trevor Carlin at the helm there. Um, and and like you say, you went through the European F3 GP2. Um, and and did extremely well with wins and podiums, and then you were pressed enough to get um, interest from Formula One with um, I think what was then known as Mana Marusha. It's been through so many different name changes. I'm not entirely sure, but um, Mana Marusha came knocking and, and asked you to join them as a development driver. What what were the what was the thoughts at this point? Did you think oh like this is interesting? This is this is me getting into Formula One. Uh, did it live up to expectations? I know that you know that team had its ups and downs. In short, yes. Uh, you know, driving a Formula One car, you it's it's hard to describe to someone that's never experienced anything remotely close. Um, yeah, unless you've driven a, something like a Formula Two car, anything you drive isn't even close. Um, yeah, so the only two cars, or maybe three cars, that give you a bit of expectation would be LMP1. So what's it now called? The hypercar, um, F2 and IndyCar. They're probably the only three cars in the world that you can drive that can give you a representative picture of what Formula is before you get there. Uh, but, but saying that, you know, you look at Formula 3, if you took the world's best road car and even put some slicks on it yeah. and you got, you know, a nice fast McLaren or Ferrari or Aston Martin or anything, put it on the track, just standard road car, and I'll let you put slicks on it. It's still going to be a minute slower than a Formula 3 car. And Formula 3 is 30 seconds slower than uh, than F1. So it's the jumping to that comparison, you know, and my friends go, oh, you must drive really fast on the road. And I'm like, well, no, I don't, because going 70 miles an hour in a straight line down the motorway really just doesn't it's not it's it's like playing tiddlywinks yeah. and playing rugby like they're two completely different things like yes they have four wheels and a steering wheel but they're not even no. remotely in the same camp and and you can't describe that to someone that you're in a road car you jump on the brakes and you might pull 1g if you're at maximum braking force Formula One cars like 1.3 G on acceleration alone, yeah. <laughs> you know 1.4 G. So it, like, yeah, is it, you you can't actually comprehend what it is until you do it, yeah. and that's even from me going through motorsport for ten years. Yeah, you, you've painted a good picture of it there. I mean, when you start to consider the gaps, you know, around a lap of a road car, an F3 car, and then onto a Formula 1 car, you can sort of start to get your head around how ridiculous they are. Yeah, there's there's always been a few things, um, marketing gimmicks, I suppose they are, where they put a road car, then a good race car, and then a Formula 1 car. I think they did one in Melbourne mm. not that long ago. They had a, I don't know, it was just like a standard saloon road car. Mm. Um, then a Aussie V8 supercar, and then a Formula 1 car. And... Uh, yeah, it was like the by the time the F1 car set off, like the road car that was just like an S class or whatever, only had about three corners to go, and the F1 car still caught yeah. it. In it's yeah, it, 
you when you look when you can visualize it at that sort of speed it it really does show how how quick uh, how quick a formula one car is and the modern formula one car now they're just you know I, i've not driven one in real life but i've driven them on the simulator and there's corners now that would proper corners before that are now just extensions of straights and yeah, it's incredible yeah it's just no, they're, they're astonishing machines and 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 you've been very fortunate you know not only have you driven formula one cars but you, you've also driven indie cars you had your stint in the states and i'm, I'm interested to talk about this because i'm a massive fan of IndyCar and i love the indy 500 you made an instant impact when you went out there um in your very first race at St. Pete. Um, you set a lap record you were a fast six qualifier twice which is by which is no small feat at all but I want to talk to you specifically about the Indy 500 and I know it was a it was a challenging race for you in many ways but but what a race to experience that's got to be up there with one of your most special um, activities yeah it's the first time I would say in motorsport that I felt like it's actually a sporting event Um, you know I've been to the Olympics, I've been to the Euros and Champions League and the World Cup at Twickenham. And, you know, I've, I've been to big sporting events and as a spectator in the crowd, you enjoy it and you get excited and you see it and you go, wow, how amazing, or at least I do. And I go, how amazing is that as a sportsman to be able to walk out in front of 80,000 people all screaming? And you know, I remember going to Old Trafford as a as a kid with my dad and you know you're, you're shouting out like Wayne Rooney his name when he scored and you're like oh that's like awesome and as a as an actual participant that must be amazing but in motorsport you don't get that you don't get that cauldron you don't get that single event excitement that at least I felt even as a spectator or even still to this day I feel as an spectator going to an event um, so for the first time ever, the Indy 500, it was like, oh, no, this is actually, like, this is up there with the Super Bowl, with yeah. the World Cup final, you know, with, with, the, with the big events. And spectator-wise, it's the biggest single-day um, sporting event in the world. Yeah. You know, they get over 300,000 people turn up yeah. to watch the race on a Sunday. And that, you know, the grandstand down the main straight's got 100,000 people in it, and it's a whole party going on, and around the world and there's hundreds of millions of people watching it. So it's, it has really got that feel, um, but it's not quite got the size of, you know, football where everyone, a whole country gets behind it. You saw with the Euros, but it was the first time ever in motorsport that I was like, Oh, I'm actually doing something that is really special here. And you get lost in it. And, you know, I'm guilty of it. You get lost in the process. You're so focused on, what you're doing, you know, it's something you've trained for for ages, that you get lost in the reality of what you're actually doing, um, or at least I I do. And you kind of almost actually have to stop, pinch yourself, um, and remind yourself that actually what you're doing is something that's, you know, if someone said to me, oh, tomorrow I was going to walk out playing for England at Wembley, I, I you know, I'd probably wet myself. But... <laughs> But but someone's never just like rocked up to me and gone, oh, you know, you're going to walk out in front of 300,000 people and drive the Indianapolis 500 yeah. because it's been such a long process and hard process of going towards it. You, Well, I did anyway, you, you get lost. But in one sense, you lose, you become numb to the nerves as well. 
so that's quite a good thing. You don't let the nerves overtake you. Um, but yeah, I look back now and I say, oh, if I did it again, I would appreciate it so much more because I was yeah. so focused on trying to do a good job. You just actually lose the... Um, like the wood for the trees, if you know what I mean. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality, and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One and thanks to F1 Experiences you can return to the track this year and Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experiences package by using the code Motormouth when booking online at f1experiences.com and you you know you've done such I mean Formula One is there obviously Indy 500 and Indy car is an absolute spectacle but you don't do things by halves because you've also done the 24 hours of Le Mans which in itself is a huge spectacle as well it's on everyone's bucket list how was that to do? Uh, the endurance racing in general, general, uh, I I love. Um, but to be honest, I love all racing. <laughs> I love conditions, so that's not new rocket science. That is it. Uh, but no, the endurance racing is really cool. I I like I like the challenge of it on a personal standpoint and a challenge on it from a team standpoint. You know, it's the first time in motorsport you actually feel part of a team on the racetrack um, and I say on the racetrack is because obviously you are a massive part of the team anyway but racing drivers are inherently selfish whereas actually endurance racing you kind of need to not be um, you've got to hand the car over haven't you at some you've got to hand the car over but then there's a real joy in I suppose I feel it now a bit more in my co- what I do in my coaching it's a real joy in seeing someone else succeed you know, I'm seeing it now with young drivers when I coach them and they do well and you're like, oh, yeah, brilliant. You've done well. You've listened. You've made progress. But when your teammates in the car, so you want them to do well, mainly selfish reasons because you want to win the race. But it becomes, you know, it kind of brought me back to my more childhood playing football where if someone else scored, you wouldn't be angry if they scored. They've just scored for your team. So you're happy for them. Um, and... Yes, I suppose it's the only form of motorsport where you're happy another driver does well. <laughs> in every other form of motorsport, you you only want yourself to do well. You don't want any other driver. Yeah. So actually, you know, I got out of the car and I've done a really good stint and I was like, oh, that was fantastic. That was really good. And then your teammate comes in and then matches your stint. And rather than being really grumpy and going, oh, but he's matched me. And, you know, it's like, no, actually, he's matched me. That means it's really good. We're doing really well in this race. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, I like the endurance racing from that standpoint, as it being a team. Uh, but then also the challenge, if you get out of the car, you jump back in, it's not just, you know, IndyCar was two hours and that, I got out of the car and you're just like, you're done mentally. Yeah. Physically, you're knackered. Mentally, you're just like, I've, I've dissipated every bit of energy I can. Where with the endurance stuff, you know, you're doing that, but then you're getting out and you're having to like, no, I'm going again in two hours' time. So I need to like recover, rehydrate, get a bit of sleep, which is impossible when there's... 60 cars driving around and music being played and you're in a sleeping bag in a tent somewhere. <laughs> um, but just that challenge, you know, I, I like challenging myself and pushing myself and actually that is a challenge in itself. 
Um, so yeah, the endurance racing is is cool. Yeah, no, it's very cool. And and you're you're keeping your toe in Formula One, but also uh, Formula E. You're doing some work with um, Alpine, uh, formerly Re- formerly uh, the Renault F1 team up at Enstone, um, and uh, some sim work as well with Mahindra um, uh, in recent history. Do you enjoy those roles? Is, is this is this something you you can really get your get your teeth stuck into? Uh, yes. As I say to everybody, it's not what I want to be doing. You know, what I want to be doing is driving a Formula One car yeah. or driving an Indy car or, you know, that, that I want to be doing. Uh, but it's it's still really, really cool to be doing and, and a massive privilege. You know, and a, a, my friends uh, came round for dinner and a couple of drinks at the weekend and, you know, they were having a catch-up first time, literally first time I've seen them in 18 months. You kind of tell them what's going on and you know they're all like, oh that's that's amazing and again you kind of get lost in the oh but i'm not actually racing formula one it's like no but you're still working within formula one you're helping a team do well and then same again although you know i've raced against esteban my whole career and every time i've seen him do well i've not wanted him to do well but now at the like at the weekend when when alpine were one and uh, four i think they were before alonso got overtaken wasn't he one and fourth or one and fifth first and fifth I should say something um like you're getting excited for them and you want them to do well because you know you've put in 50 hours to get a result of your own time plus obviously everyone else has so it's a different dynamic and it is still an amazing thing to be doing and the simulator at um Alpine at Enstone is is pretty cool to drive. Proper. To be fair, yeah. yeah, they're pretty mega things these days, aren't they? Compared, yeah. you know, even even just playing on some top rigs on a game is pretty good. And then you imagine what an F one simulator could be like. And yeah, well, a, a top a top rig on a game, you know, is a few thousand pounds. Well, yeah. I think they're they're well into the eight eight figures. Yeah. <laughs> on uh, <laughs> not to be uh, not to be sniffed at at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can imagine, you know, you can imagine how how good they actually are. Um, so it, it is enjoyable, it is fun, but then it's not it's not a pastime, it's it's not a hobby, it's it's a proper professional, serious thing, you know. We're not just jumping on it to drive around on the Codemasters Formula One game or Forza, you know, we're we are actually working. <laughs> well believe it or not yeah a version of working anyway (laughs) exactly well what does then you know what would you like the future to hold for you you know if you can find uh you know a race drive somewhere what what's the ideal series that you'd love to go back to something you've already raced or you know also doing the Mahindra Formula E stuff is the whole electric world of racing something that that might be of interest the Mahindra if you start with Mahindra um Formula E well it's really interesting um, as a as a tech, as where they're going with it, it's not fully aligned with what the real world is doing because it's still racing in the same way Formula One, you know. And they say, oh, the, the tech trickles down. There's there's some truth to that, but it's it's so high tech in its own right. It's not a direct. Oh, we're just going to take, you know, the front wing off an F1 car and whack it on a road car. Yeah. Um, but it's it's all new stuff, and it's all being pushed quite heavily with the Formula E um, and everything that goes with it. You know, now the battery tech. I think the the thing that people got scared about, or do get scared about, with it is the range anxiety, mm. and and Formula E isn't actually really addressing that because it's 
in truth, it's not actually a problem. You look at the average journey, is it's below 40 miles. Yeah. Um, it will just become a lifestyle change. The same way now our mobile phones, we plug in every night, yeah. where before you plugged them in once a week. So it will become a lifestyle change. You won't just be jumping in your car and driving down the road and, oh, look, I haven't got any fuel in it today and I'll just put fuel in. You know, you just plug it in and, and it's left there. Uh, where Formula E is actually approaching it all from efficiency. They're, they're taking the view that we're going to get the regen better. We're going to get the efficiency better. So actually, if a race looks like it's going to be easy on energy, they take energy away from us and then they make it harder for the team to then work out how to make the cars more efficient, how to regen more energy, where to deploy the energy. And that's actually what's then driving different parts of the tech um, that will be able to be put back onto the road car. Because if you can get more energy back, you know, at the moment now, uh, the electric motors themselves are almost 100% efficient. So actually, an electric motor, there's not a lot you can do. It's how you get the energy into the battery in the first place, then how you store it, and then how you keep adding to that as you're driving along. Mm. So, you know, don't brake for starters, is quite a good one. But then how that's all done with lots of, I can't go into too much detail, but lots of special intricate mappings of, of software and everything. And, and it's quite, yeah, it's a, cool, it's a cool thing to be involved with at, at the very least. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would love to be racing in Formula E. Uh, I hope my role at the moment can grow. It's a conversation to be had. Uh, for the future, but we'll, we'll see. I've not had it yet, so who knows which direction it's going to go in. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't would be lying if I said Formula One is completely dead to me because it's not. You know, if someone knocked on my door tomorrow and said you're doing it, I would, yeah, I'd, I'd jump at it with head, feet, hands, body, soul, <laughs> get me in straight there. straight into the deep end. <laughs> um, but realistically, that's not going to be the case. Uh, IndyCar is fantastic. It's a really cool racing championship. It's another, well, probably the only other place that can appease my childhood dream of being a superstar um, in the same way Formula One can. Uh, as you are, you know, America does sport so much better. We don't celebrate success in the UK. Um, we, we, yeah. If someone's successful, we put them down. Where in America, they, they celebrate it and, and sport's no different. They really celebrate it. So, you, you know, you do become a superstar over there, which I don't think any childhood sportsman doesn't want to be a superstar. Uh, and then, and then, then WEC is, is, I suppose, the other big one that's out there. There's, there's all the other GT championships. And, you know, I know SRO run the World Challenge and everything. But, but they start overlapping with WEC. You see those drivers, they, they do a mixture of it too, or British yeah. GT or, you know, DTM. There's even sports cars down in Australia or Japan with then Super Formula. Um, but, yeah, WEC is, I suppose, or the WEC world of endurance racing um, is a bigger, a bigger market. 
Yeah, well, well, there, there's the sales pitch. You've got a few options there. So, uh, come yeah, on, so come anyone on. listening yeah. that wants to give me a job. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I, ideally, Mercedes or perhaps Red Bull, you know, someone along those lines, you know, just come, come calling. No, it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's good that you've still got that burning ambition and, and touch wood, it comes to fruition. It would be fantastic to see you in a, a full-blown Formula E seat or in Formula One. So, you know, touch wood, um, we get something um, like that in the future. Now, you're obviously an incredibly quick racing driver. You've done some commentary bits now and you're, you know, expanding your, um, the different strings to your bow. But what are you absolutely shit at? Like, what take? What are you completely useless at? Um, English. English? What English. is it like Shakespeare? Uh, yeah, William Shakespeare, as far as I'm concerned, has not done a lot um, for society. All he seems to have done is caused me pain. Wow. Uh, yeah. So all these English scholars that think he was really good and wrote some really good plays and invented a load of new words for the English language. Uh, Frankly, they can do one. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm dyslexic um, and have been quite, uh, yeah, quite badly dyslexic growing up anyway. So English for me just was never my friend. Didn't particularly like it. Uh, I was more worried about watching the clock for when the lesson finished so I could get outside and start... Yeah running around in circles and kicking balls and catching <laughs> balls and throwing them and stuff. So, uh, no, in English for me, that's not to say I wasn't good at school. I, I did very well in all my other other subjects, just English was a struggle. Um, but, yeah, anything outdoorsy, um, I'm yet to find something that I don't enjoy or yeah. don't take to. Yeah. Mm. Fair enough. Uh, running around in circles, we'll put that high on the list of things you're good at. Um, computer games, I'm not very good at that. Not spent a lot of time okay. playing computer games, actually. Well, um, in that case, then, what would you say to your younger self now? What Would you have done anything differently in your career? Would you have gotten better with the video games sooner? <laughs> uh, I definitely wouldn't be um, playing more video games. Yeah. I... I I have a go at people if they play in too much video games, so I'm not sure I could justify that one to myself. Uh, no, it's one of these questions that always gets asked, and I not think for anyone that's been involved in sport, just in general, you know, even I ask friends, like, would you do anything different? You know, would you go back 10 years and change anything? Um, and I think everyone can't answer that question with a yes, like I, I don't think anyone can say oh, I would change it because you don't know what you don't know. You know, you'd rather the devil you know than the devil you don't. And as much as I look back and think, oh, there was plenty of mistakes and things wrong along the way, I don't sit here now and go, oh, actually, I've had it really bad. And, you know, I, I see people that are, uh, I suppose, I would consider worse drivers than me getting better opportunities and doing other things. And I am, I am envious and it, it does annoy me. But then in the same instance, I've probably seen drivers that are better than me in worse opportunities. So it swings and roundabouts. Of course, you want to be the special chosen one and, and be a seven-time world champion. But that's not always the case um and as my dad said from a very young age life isn't fair 
Uh, and and that's, I suppose, when people say, you know, is there anything that's ever influenced you the most? I think that's the single line that has. Mm. Life isn't fair. And it's, it's true. Life is never fair. Um, growing up at school, they tried to keep everything fair. It used to wind me up when I wasn't allowed to go and run more races on sports day. You know, we've already won a couple. Like, stop running, let someone else do it. <laughs> and I was like, you don't tell the person that's good at English to, <laughs> to stop Doing yeah. well in the exam and make me look stupid, do you? <laughs> so I want to make them look yeah, stupid on a football true. field. Yeah, fair, fair comment. True. Fair comment. Very fair comment. Um, as I have a little political rant. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, no. So so for me, I I wouldn't go back and change anything because I can't answer what the outcome would be. But there's plenty of things that I would, if I was doing it again, change. If you're not moving, if I start again and know what I know now, in hindsight, I would do stuff differently. And I would also be like, yeah, but if I jumped in a car at 12 years old now, with all I know, I'd win everything by yeah. miles because I'd be way better than all the other 12-year-olds. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, all, it's all completely fictional. Um, and, you know, what I know now, I probably wouldn't even end up in motorsport because I enjoy lots of other sports for different reasons as an adult, but at the time I didn't as an adolescent. Yeah, yeah no. you know, so, so, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at with it, you know. Makes sense. I'd love to be a rugby player, but at 15 years old, I didn't like getting beaten up because I wasn't the tallest person on the pitch. Yeah. So actually motorsport was much more appealing to me at 15 years old than rugby. Yeah. But right now I would quite enjoy being a rugby player playing for England, but I'm not because I didn't like getting hurt when everyone else grew and I didn't. Yeah. No, rug, rug, rugby's painful, you know. Why, yeah, why would you exactly. want to do that? Stay safe in your cockpit. Um, no, that, that's all. That rings all very true. And um, we're going to move on because we're almost at time to our uh, final three questions, which we ask all of our guests. Uh, and these final three questions are brought to to you by our partners, F One Experiences. And I'm going to add in another one, Harry. I've done it. I've gone rogue and added in a fourth question. Um, and I'll kick off with said fourth question uh, before we move on to the proper final three. Formula One. Um, by the time this goes out, the season will still be going on. In short, who's your top tip to take the championship this year? I think Lewis now. Oh, yeah. I it think does feel like the tide has turned. It does, it? Yeah. doesn't it? We're at that point. What's the date today? So we can timestamp this. Where it's the we? summer break. It's the 11th of August. 11th of so August, yeah. yeah, summer break. So we're, we're sort of halfway through. still a long way to go. But it just feels like Lewis is just creeping back into it after a bit of a max resurgence. I, th I think the, the biggest turning point was Lewis playing Max at his own games. And, and yeah, Silverstone probably was his fault, for in honest, honesty. Uh, I think the stewards got it about right, as much as mm. Red Bull... Helmut Marco and Christian Horner don't want to admit it. I do think the stewards got it about right for a 10-second penalty. But Max did invite him to have the crash, although Lewis is more to blame. Uh, and Max has driven like that his whole career. He's driven like that all this year with Lewis, and Lewis has backed out. And this time around, he just went, I'm not. Uh, you know, um, you, we, we, if you're going to race like that I'm also going to race like that and I, and I just feel okay Hungary was a bit of luck from Lewis's standpoint but then they almost threw it away and he still had to fight back through but both Red Bulls out of the race really helped the championship but that that swing 
now in points, I think is enough for Lewis and Mercedes to bite onto. And they're now going to some tracks that I think they're a bit more comfortable with. Uh, whereas before, all of the comments Lewis and Mercedes were making was very much, yeah, we, we, we're we hoping we will win it, but we don't think we will. Where now it's like, oh, no, we, we can win it. Well, uh, we'll watch this space. Still a long way to go. So we'll, we'll hold you to that and we'll come back to you at the end of the year. Um, all right. First of our official uh, final three questions brought to you by F1 Experiences. Jordan King, what has got you excited at the moment? What has me excited about the moment? Uh, if you asked me last week, it would have been the Olympics. Um, yeah, love, well, love, this, love sports, love the Olympics. <laughs> uh, that definitely gets me excited. Obviously, Paralympics coming up soon, yep. which is always uh, is always a good one. You know, London 2012 was fantastic yeah. uh, for Paralympics. Uh, but no, right now, right now, I'm actually running Hadrian's Wall next weekend. Wow. Uh, so as soon as I get off this, I'm going for a 30-kilometer run. Oh, that sounds horrible. Uh, so that, yeah, that's about so as mine. much excitement as I have in my life at the moment. <laughs> 30 kilometers a run. God, and I'm debating whether I should go to the gym again this week. I'm, deb- uh, I'm debating whether I cross my 10-foot garden to go and get a cup of tea. I don't even know if I can be bothered to do that. This is disgustingly lazy. Um, our, our second of our three final questions, what are you scared of? Uh, I don't think I am. Nothing. Not even no. like spiders, creepy crawlies. Well, I, if if I was faced with a tarantula, oh. I'd be a bit like, no, I'm not going to do that because I know it can kill me. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm actively like scared of it. If there was a spider in my room, I'd pick it up and put it outside. Like I'm not with your bare hands, you'd pick it up. Yeah, it's just a spider. Oh no, fuck that. Right. No. We're cut from a different cloth, clearly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you pick, if you if you like pinch their back leg, oh. um, they play dead. So like if you just pick them up by their back leg, they curl up and just like play dead. And you can just carry them outside, put them outside, and then ten seconds later, when they're not being touched, they unfurl themselves and run off. Good spider knowledge. Didn't know that. Did not know that. Um, well, there we are. That. I think that's the first time we've had no no fears, no, no yeah. not scared of anything. I like that a lot. Fear of failure. There you go. Ah, there, yeah, no, we have yeah, had yeah. that before. Yeah, yeah. yeah we have yeah. had that. Yeah, that's that seems a to be one. a racing driver um, staple. That one yeah. that uh, mm. seems to be crop up a lot. Um, your favourite racing destination or circuit? Um, I don't, I don't have a favourite circuit. People always ask, "What's what's your favourite circuit?" And uh, the best answer is where I last won. Um, or, or had a good result because they knew if they have fond memories but they all pose different challenges so I don't have one that stands out you know you could go for the classic you know, Silverstone, Monza, Spa all those classics that are great to drive but I wouldn't, they're, no, they're no better than a Baku yeah. even though it's not a classic but Baku's great fun to drive and it's, it's cool so yeah no there's a couple that I would be like, they're definitely not <laughs> enjoyable. Uh, but no, no favourite circuits. And um, favourite place, uh, I really like going to Germany, actually, racing, because everything just works. Yeah. Great. Everyone knows what the rules are, and it just... Efficiency, it's all yeah, there. It's yeah. very me. It's yeah. very me. It just works. So, <laughs> yeah, Germany's great. Um 
my favorite place to go to in the world is Cape Town, South Africa. Oh, I've never been. Never been. Never, yeah, never been. No. I have to yeah, add the list. Love, love Cape. It's got everything. Yeah, Mountains, yeah. bike rides, beaches for surfing, good food, mm. sun. Yeah. Well, yeah. as soon as I can go on holiday again, uh, I'll go anywhere. Actually, they'll have me. But maybe Cape Town. That'll do it. I am off to Germany uh, though. I've got. I'm Germany this weekend. Formula oh, e. are you? Formula are e. You, yeah. Are you finally actually going? I'm to... finally going. I've got my paperwork, which took hours to sign off from COVID and all that business and fill out various forms. Yeah, I'm booking the flight straight after this. I'm off. Oh, exciting. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, e. well I'm I'm stuck on the simulator supporting the event. So oh, nice. yeah. <laughs> Probably doing more work than Tim will be out uh, there. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, look, Jordan, that just about does it, actually, because we're nearly nearly out of time. But where can people uh, find out a bit more about you? What are your social handles, Twitter, Instagram? You're all on them, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, so, so social media is uh, 42, my racing number, and then Jordan King. Uh, can't say I've got the most exciting content <laughs> in the world. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big tech person, but... You never know. You might you never might know. find something interesting on there. Give it a go. You'd never know if you don't look. Well, look, Jordan King, thank you so much for coming on the yeah, show. It's been a pleasure to uh, to get to know you and get to know your career a little bit better and uh, find out what you're up to. And we uh, we will wish you the best of luck with uh, what's to come next as well. And uh, as well as all the commentary as well for the rest of the season. Jordan King, thank you very much for coming on to the Motormouth podcast. Thank you very much. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first class hotels, travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at MOTORMOUTH underscore, Instagram at MOTORMOUTH underscore official, and Facebook, just search MOTORMOUTH. You can also download the MOTORMOUTH app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.